0: Last week, only Tara was here, (laughs) and uh, we dealt with page 8, well, I take that back, we dealt with page 5. Divine wrath, autonomous or metaphorical for consequences or international strife. In other words, instead of God's wrath, the text simply says wrath fell upon Israel or or wrath came down or, or wrath did something. It's like a, a metaphor for what takes place. Now today, we're going to start with God is slow to anger on page 6. Long of nose. Long of nose is literally what it says in Hebrew. God is long of nose. <laughs> I believe it's arak a, and a, a, or a rock af. Uh, af is nose. It's one of the words for nose. It's nostrils. It's um, the reason. And and af itself can mean anger. And the reason for that is is, if you've ever seen an angry bull, what do they do? They snort through their nostrils. (laughs) Um, I I chased an angry rabbit one time. (laughs) The the rabbit got out because there were some females apparently in heat. And you know the proverbial rabbit and what they love to do. Uh so I was out I was supposed to be taking care of this rabbit and I was responsible for his safety so I was out chasing him and I cut but actually I joined a couple of people who were chasing him because they owned the rabbits he was after and they didn't want baby rabbits <laughs> So this was at Loma Linda, by the way <laughs> And so we were running around this vacant lot uh, trying to chase this rabbit and and I don't know if you know anything about rabbits they make these wonderful 90 degree turns and uh, we were just about on him all three of us at once ready to grab his his little tail or whatever we could grab and he made this 90 degree turn and left us falling on our faces it took all three of us to collect that rabbit and put him back in his yard which we just dumped him over the fence because <laughs> that was the closest thing we could do So a while later I thought, well, you know, the poor rabbit, he's probably not very happy. I'll take him a carrot. So I went over there with a carrot, and I called his name. And I was worried that he might have had a heart attack because I'd heard that the owners that had this rabbit, they'd had a rabbit who apparently was fleeing a hawk or something. It was a female, and she went into the burrow and died of a heart attack. So I was worried I was worried that we had over exercised this rabbit and, and caused him some trauma and so I went and I called his name and I heard <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> He was very much alive and very mad. Uh, and, and I'm sure he did that somewhat through his nose. So the nose in, the snorting through the nose and the nose getting red with anger, those are the reasons why nose became associated with anger and so long of nose means your nose it is, it's, nose is like a fuse right <laughs> a longer fuse take burns longer it doesn't get angry slow to anger that's that's where that comes from let's just um look up a few of these if i can get my bible out here let's let's do psalm 30 and we're going to look at verse 6, I believe. Okay, verse 5. It is in the Hebrews. Verse 6 apparently in the... I mean, verse 5 it is in English and verse 6 it is in Hebrew. His anger lasts only for a second. So it's short. But his favor lasts for a lifetime. That's, that's kind of the flip side of saying uh, he's not only slow to anger, but he's short. It's very short-lasting. Uh, but the most prominent one, of course, is Exodus. And we, we spent a whole day studying that. By the way, uh, I thought we had lost that Sabbath. Um, I, you remember I forgot to turn this on. And um, it turned out that uh, we were able to retrieve it and get it up. So it was actually recorded. Um, so 34, 6. This is the one we spent so much time on. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is compassionate and merciful. This is uh, verse 6 of 34. Very patient. That is slow to anger. That's long of nose in the Hebrew. Psalm 86, 15. But you, my Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You are long of nose and full of faithful love. So I have you are very patient. Anybody here have slow to anger on that? Yeah. This is long suffering. Long suffering. That's another favorite translation of long of nose. And and we could go on. And Jonah four two. You remember the context. Jonah is complaining to God because God hasn't destroyed Nineveh. I know that you are a gracious God, merciful. And he basically cites what God says to Moses. He slaps it in God's face and says, you're slow to anger. I want you to be quick. (laughs) Get these people. It's it's really sprinkled healthily throughout the Bible. So this is an attribute of God, that he is patient, that he is slow to anger. That he is long suffering. Now we're going to look at a series of texts of human anger. Is it okay for God to get angry, but not for us? And, and I think it's important to look at these texts to see how the Hebrew Bible looks at anger. First Samuel 27, we're not going to look all these up. <clears throat> I have the, the, Crux of them right here. Uh, 1 Samuel 27, if the king gets angry, then people know that he determines evil against them. Uh, that's, by the way, a very key element in anger in the Hebrew Bible. That it's very much tied to kingship. And we're going to revisit that fact at the end of this study when we talk about Babylon and anger, divine anger. Um, because I'm finding an intimate relationship between kings getting angry and gods getting angry in the ancient Near East. It's almost like this is the origin of divine anger, is, is in kingship. Keep in mind, this, the things I'm reading in, in Mesopotamian literature are much long before the Hebrew Bible, the earliest book of the Hebrew Bible, was ever re- written. Okay, so uh, 1 Samuel 27 kind of encapsulates this. Is the king gets angry and the people knows that he determines evil against them. Uh, skip down to Proverbs sixteen fourteen, And let's look that one up. And uh, Jonathan, why don't you read it? Sixteen 14? Mm-hmm. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will appease it. The king's wrath is a messenger of death and the wise will appease it. What do you do with an angry king? If you don't want to lose your life, you appease him. You bring him a gift. Is this the origin of appeasing angry gods? Uh, you have to appease an angry king. Look at 21 and verse 14. Bianca, why don't you read that? A gift in secret averts anger and a concealed bribe strong wrath. The whole bribery system is it tied to appeasement? I mean, how many times do parents bribe their children not to be upset, not to get angry? angry? See, those are the kinds of things we do and I've been known to appease my cats just to get them out of my hair. <laughs> Not because I think they need more food. So th- this is a human condition in a sense. Is that the way God is? Does God need a bribe, a secret bribe? or uh, Do we have to twist his arm? Do we have to appease him? Do we have to placate him? Let's um, go to Proverbs 632 34. I don't know. What I have here in my notes doesn't match this text. Um, why don't, uh, Adam, why don't you read it? 32 to 34. Oh, I, I do. I do get it now. Okay. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. Mine has, jealousy makes a man rage. He will show no mercy on the day of his revenge. Uh, he won't accept compensation. You can't appease him. You, you, you took his wife, make him very angry. Is this possibly one of the social settings of anger? where it comes from, as the setting of adultery, cheating another man out of his spouse. Uh, usually, adultery was a man against a man, not a man against a woman. Um, so we need to keep that in mind. In, in ancient understanding, that's the way it was. Okay, in Proverbs 27, 4, jealousy is more to be feared than anger and wrath. Even wrath is cruel, but jealousy is overwhelming. So uh, jealousy, this is, this is a kind of jealousy that is built on anger. This is not the kind of jealousy that God has, although he uses that term uh, when he uh, is jealous over Israel going after other gods and he calls it adultery and he tries to call them back. Um, if you read carefully in the prophets where this is used as a metaphor, uh, it's quite clear that God's jealousy is not overwhelming. It is the results may be overwhelming because if He ge- leaves them to the consequences of their choice, they have no protection against their enemies. But His His jealousy coming from Him is not human jealousy uh ecclesiastes 10:4 says if a ruler's anger comes up against you don't leave your post for calmness will undo great offenses to keep calm when a king is angry if god is like an earthly king then our being calm makes us more in control of the situation than god is and there's something wrong with that picture don't you think so i think what this clarifies is that god's anger is not like human anger Well, let's look at biblical injunctions for humans not to be angry. Genesis 49, 7. And Tara will let you read it. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So the the anger of Levi and Simeon, you remember what they did. And their sister Dinah, their full-blood full blood sister Dinah, got raped by Shechem in the city of Shechem. And his father came out, Chamor, came out and pled uh, with Jacob and his sons to allow Dinah to marry them. And, the, and Levi and Simeon, presumably, And their brothers said, we will will only marry into your family on one condition, and that is that you circumcise all your males because we won't marry an uncircumcised person. So Shechem goes back, persuades the city to have everyone circumcised. They all get circumcised, and there they are helpless in their pain. And Levi and Simeon come in and kill all the males, take the women for themselves. It's, It's a really horrible story. And Jacob tells them, you've made me stink. And he has to get up and leave because it's not safe for him to stay in that area. Um, Yeah. Why did God then choose Levi as the priestly class? That's a a very difficult question because you remember on what basis they're chosen. They're chosen because they slaughter 3,000 people. After worshiping the golden calf. And, and this is, this is a problem that we will be coming to, I believe, later on when we deal with some of the problem stories. If we, if it isn't on here, I hope I remember to bring you back to it. Um, because it appears, it appears that God is blessing this tribe, to be the priests because they slaughtered these people. I mean, Moses says, today you have ordained yourselves to the priesthood at the cost of your brothers, meaning because you slaughtered them. It it really raises a lot of questions, and I'm I'm not going to try to solve it today because it would... We need to work through some of this material first before we come back to it, but I want I, I hope we remember to bring us back to it when we come to some of the problem stories. there's There's some principle maybe I should just say this much as a principle of interpretation, Jesus is our example, not Phineas. Not Simeon and Levi and not the priests. Not the Levites. Jesus is our example. And it does seem that God wanted to handle the punishment of the idolaters rather than human beings. If you read the text carefully, uh, Moses is pleading for God to turn away his anger and God is saying, I'm merciful, I'm merciful. Uh, if you read that whole story, Genesis 32, I mean Exodus 32 to 34 carefully, it seems that God is saying, "I'm merciful, but I cannot protect people, and and uh, it's His people that are wanting to slaughter more than God is. And God, God is the kind that will condone in the sense that He will support. If you're in My service and you are trying to do what is right, however faulty and, and difficult you're making things for me, uh, I will support you. You're in my service. It's something like, um, suppose you were working for PUC, and you made a serious mistake that cost PUC several thousand dollars. Would they fire you? If you were really, really careless and this was a common thing you did, yes, you might get fired. But if it was a one-time thing, you didn't intend to do it, uh, you were doing the best you could, PUC would say, we we support you still, we'll still give you a paycheck. You can still do your job, you know, and they'll carry the cost. Um, that's the kind of way I see God with situations like that. But it doesn't mean that's his ideal voice of... The major voice of God's adapted will to the will of the people. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, Psalm 37, 8. And you want to grab the mic, Jonathan, and read that. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. Refrain from anger. Mine has let go of anger and leave rage behind. No, just forsake it. If that's advice to us, what about with God? Uh, Proverbs 14:17 says, He who is quick-tempered acts foolishly. This is the opposite of slow to anger. Okay? Quick-tempered, he's a fool. And that's one of the harshest things in the Old Testament that you could say about a person, is that they're a fool, especially in wisdom literature. Uh Proverbs 14:29 He who is slow to wrath has great understanding but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Proverbs 15:1 A soft answer turns away wrath but harsh words stir up anger. And verse 18 A wrathful man stirs up strife but he who is slow to anger allays contention uh verse uh, 32 in chapter 16 he was slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city it is better to be in control of yourself than to fly off the handle in a rage let's look at proverbs 19:11 uh in fact you you want to read 19:11 and 12 Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion but his favor is like the dew on the grass. Another reference to kingly anger. Insightful people restrain their anger their glory is to ignore an offense. I think we'll skip Proverbs 19:19 19, 19, simply because the Hebrew is uncertain. Let's uh, go. Move to Proverbs twenty nine twenty two. Someone with a temper creates strife. The angry person causes others to transgress. For uh, Proverbs thirty thirty three. For as the churning of milk produces butter, and as wringing the nose produces blood, so the forcing of wrath produces strife. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven four is an actual injunction. Don't be quick tempered, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, and that stuck struck down the peoples in wrath that ruled the nations in anger. Wrath in especially in kingship, wrath is most prevalent in war. Uh when a king goes out against an, an a vassal that has broken their treaty with them, they're in anger, or when they go out to conquer, they're in anger, their anger drives them and and they they fight fiercely. the term fierce really is built on the word for anger and what is interesting is that in Mesopotamia usage in in Babylonian context, they're likened the kings are likened to lions roaring and raging and and frothing, and it's, it's very much part of the animal world, you might say. When we get angry, we tend to act more like the animal population when they get desperate. And I think beyond, I think we're capable of worse anger than the lion as human beings. But I, I, it seems that we, we act in a, in a way that is far removed from the frontal lobes that we were given. You know, a lion doesn't probably have fun frontal lobes because house cats don't. Um, that's what I've understood from someone who worked for a veterinarian. Uh, the veterinarian pointed out in surgery that the cat, a cat it does not have frontal lobes. They have only basal, which is why they're not as smart as dogs. I mean, they're smart in a way, but they're not like dogs. and Like no impulse control? control? Yeah cats cats have no impulse control and they don't have any a dog will feel guilty much more a cat I've seen cats feel guilty to a certain degree but it's more I think a fear of your displeasure than it is some kind of guilt whereas dogs tend to have, show signs of a little bit of guilt maybe not on the level we do but um dogs do have a little bit of frontal lobe not as much as not as pronounced as ours So what I'm suggesting is that when we do know that when a person gets angry or frightened, either one, the blood supply to the frontal lobes is shut down and they are actually incapable of being reasoned with. If God is angry in that manner, and, and, and that kind of anger is what it is that needs appeasement. Appeasement is, is appeasing that kind of anger because appeasement does not appeal to the, to the higher, higher reasoning powers, it seems to me. Appeasement appeals to one's self-interest, to one's self-centeredness, to one's personal feelings. And so for that reason, I really believe that that when we talk about anger as uh, being enraged, being furious, being what have you in in human terms, we're talking about something that does not involve the frontal lobes. and what I believe the Bible teaches about God is that his anger is always rational it is it is not... It is not an emotion that takes over his life and drives him and has to be calmed and swaged and, and toned down by some gift or some bribe or or whatever. Uh, if, if he were that kind of a God, if he had to be appeased, he would be a selfish God, basically. Because appeasement is built on a selfishness model. Okay, we're going to... Look at some problem passages for discussion. And I think we have... It's 12.09. Um, did you want to continue or... You wanted to go break here for church? Do one Just do one problem? Yeah. Okay. Then let's do the problem that Jonathan raised. Why did the Levites... This is not in my notes, I don't believe... The story is found in Exodus 32. So the people see that Moses is taking a long time to come down from the mountain. They get around Aaron and they say, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man, Moses, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what happened to him. That's how my version translates that. Aaron said to them, All right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all they did that, Uh, He collects them, and he makes a metal image of a bull calf, probably rather small. And the people declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. (laughs) Why does he do that? And this is the one that God decides shall be the priest? Then Aaron announced, tomorrow will be a festival to Yahweh. So he's trying to convert this calf to Yahweh's calf. Very bad choice. They get up early in the next day, offer entirely burned offerings and bring well-being sacrifices, and they sit down to eat and drink and get up to celebrate. And Yahweh said to Moses, and it's in Hebrew it's much more succinct than this, go, go down, <laughs> That's what it is in Hebrew. <laughs> go, go down. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt are corrupting themselves, have corrupted themselves. They've already abandoned the path that I've commanded. They have made a mental bull calf for themselves. They bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And then remember this text. We talked about this earlier. Yahweh said to Moses, I've been watching these people and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them, and I will make a great nation out of you. Remember what's happening here? Can anyone tell me? Is this where Moses tries to appease, or seems like he appeases God? Yeah, he he seems to. But what is actually happening here? I mean, how would you read this carefully? Could anybody standing in front of God stop him from being angry? So why does he say, now let me alone, let my fury burn, as though Moses is keeping his anger back? What I see this as, is as a, as a parody. You know what a parody is? It's kind of a mock of something. It's a parody of an angry God motif. God is testing Moses to see if he's gonna respond and thinking that God is so angry he's going to wipe these people out, and if Moses is going to respond to a self-interest level of motive, selfish level of motive, and say, sure, God, (laughs) get angry with these people and destroy them and make of me a great nation. But Moses pleaded with Yahweh, his God, Yahweh, why does your fury burn against your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say he had an evil plan to take his people out and kill them in the mountains to wipe them off the earth? Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your people. You notice he doesn't say, be appeased, be appeased. He's saying, you calm yourself down. Moses perceives God as angry in the human Somewhat human sense. And he he continues pleading and then he when he turns down the mountain, his picture of God, that he's angry, carries over and he gets angry and he breaks the Ten Commandments. And you remember that God doesn't resupply a new set of Ten Commandments. He makes Moses supply the next set. God supplied the first set. First set were chiseled by God out of rock. The second set Moses has to work at. There's, there's symbolism, it seems to me, in that. There's meaning in it. What it suggests to me is that God intended that Moses get the picture that this is what happens when you get angry. You break, you break the Ten Commandments. It's true he did it symbolically to show that the people were doing wrong and had broken the Ten Commandments. But it was his anger that led him to do that. So, in chiseling out the new set of tablets, they're inferior. They're not as, and they're things are not as perfect anymore. The people danced around a golden calf. Moses got angry in response to perceiving God as human, as angry like a human being. And in fact, it says in my version, verse 19, Moses was furious. He hurled the tablets down and shattered them in pieces at the foot of the mountain. Um, They must have been a thin pair of, of stone. So here's what happens. Moses saw that the people were out of control because Aaron had let them go out of control, making them easy target for their enemies. So Moses stood at the camp's gate and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. All the Levites gathered around him. Moses said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, each of you strap with your, on your sword, go back and forth to end the camp to the other. Each of you kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded, about 3,000 people were killed that day. Moses said that today you have ordained yourself, or you have been ordained to Yahweh, each one of you at the cost of a son or a brother. Today you've gained a special blessing for yourselves. And we say, whoa. What if we made a requirement for all pastors that to be pastors they had to slaughter someone who was committing adultery or idolatry or some other sin? It's like a gang or a mob initiation ceremony. It's very troublesome, isn't it? Seems like it was Moses' idea, too. He says that, thus says Yahweh, God, Israel's God, does inspiration... Does inspiration always give commands? There's nothing here that says God told him to say this. Moses states, thus says, that Yahweh, Israel's God. But my understanding is, from reading Ellen White, that inspiration acts on the person, not on his words. And that only the Ten Commandments are verbally inspired. Of all the Bible, so even when prophets are saying "Thus says Yahweh," they're not verbatim quoting Yahweh. Now, here's what I think is happening. We're going to go back to Exodus. I'm going to just quote it for you because our time is really up. Uh, Exodus 19:6. Before God ever says the Ten Commandments, He says to Moses, uh, "I brought you up out of Egypt on eagles' wings." Establish you to be my people. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the first statement of the covenant. It's a full statement of covenant. The problem is when Moses takes us to the people, the people read it as God wants us to be his priests and a holy nation. All that Yahweh says we will do. That is not necessarily what Yahweh intended he intended to say I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation you shall be to me is a promise not a not a have to an injunction and and in the Hebrew in the Hebrew it's worded the same an injunction and a promise can be the same so it is always ambiguous which one are you going to choose the promise or or the injunction and i believe that this was god's preferred voice He wanted everyone to be a priest. Woman, men, children, everyone. And to be a holy nation. That's his preferred will. When they danced around the golden calf, everything changed. Because they decided all that the Lord has said we will do, they took it upon themselves to keep the covenant that God wanted to keep in them, through them, himself. And as a result of that, they became incapable of keeping it because nobody can keep God's covenant. God is the one that has to keep it through us. And so they became incapable. They worshiped the golden calf, distrusted God. Now the rules change because once you choose a bull to be your God, you are choosing a God of violence. And once you choose a God of violence, you become violent. And Moses, under inspiration, chooses to respond in this manner out of this whole ancient Near Eastern understanding of, you know, if someone sins, breaks a covenant, breaks a treaty, you go to war against them and you slaughter them. That's ancient Near Eastern thinking. And, of course, he sees the his understanding of this covenant is like a treaty between a king and a vassal. Israel is God's vassal, and he's their overlord. And so he... He enacts that broken treaty or covenant by having them slaughter the offenders, the ones who broke it. The question is, did God directly command him to do that? Because if you go through, let's follow this through. Verse 35 says, Then Yahweh sent a plague on the people because of what they did with the bull calf that Aaron had made. Now that plague was probably a direct consequence of what they were doing around that golden calf. It's very likely that there was multiple sex partnership going on. And so they suffered the consequences of of the kinds of things they did. There are scholars who claim the Hebrew doesn't permit that. There are scholars who want to weed out any kind of sexual behaviors with worship, but there is some slight evidence for it that is usually attempted to be overridden. Moving on, in the discussion of God with Moses in chapter 33, verse 12, when he says, Please show me your glory. God says, Yahweh says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you the name Yahweh. And I will be kind to whoever I wish to be kind to, And I will be compassionate for whomever I wish to be compassionate. And where's the justice in that? It's like he's describing himself as totally love. Then he says, you cannot see my face because no one can see me and live. And you remember what we discussed about that. That it isn't that God kills people who are caught looking at his face. But that his mercy and his compassion. When you worship a false God, you worship a God who doesn't love you who is anything but compassionate and merciful. They became sort of harmony with God that he can't see the, his face and live. And, and the mercy and the compassion of God is actually destructive. And you can imagine, Moses has gotten furious. He's gotten in this angry God motif. And it seems that he himself is now in a state where he can't see God's face and live. Does that help? So why did God have the priests? I think this is the major voice. Uh, this is not God's preferred will. His preferred will is that all Israel be priests and holy. But because of the golden calf experience, because of Moses' reaction, God says, okay, these will be the priests. God doesn't have ideal people to work with on the planet. And, and the priests, the Levites did resist. Apparently, they did not engage in the idolatry. They remained steadfast. That probably, and, and that steadfastness showed in their willingness to sacrifice people, however violent that seems to us, to them, it was just normal. It was just the way to do things. Yeah. I have a question. It's kind of... Back towards the beginning, um, why does it say God asked Moses to turn to look away so he can so his anger can burn against the Israelites? And then Moses, you know, he's, te- he's testing the Moses. You he's think, it's a, you think it's a test? Well, who could who could make God stop being angry? I mean, mm-hmm. why would standing in if you were really angry at me and I stood in your presence would you tell me to get out of my your presence so you could be angry at me? You'd probably just yell at me, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't make sense for God to say, leave me alone so I can get angry, so my anger can burn. It doesn't make sense for him to say that, unless he is testing Moses. And that's, by the way, what patriarchs and prophets suggest, is that he is testing Moses and his love and his loyalty for his people. I think he's also testing him. What kind of picture of me do you have? So does Moses fail the test to a degree? Is that your... I it think so. That seems like I think so. how I would. I think he comes away with uh, with um, mixed understanding of God, and that's why he asks to see God's glory. He's confused, and God says, "Okay, it's my goodness, it's my compassion, but there are consequences, and those consequences are when you when you get angry and when you get out of harmony with my glory, you can't see my face and live. Human nature is by nature children of wrath." As Paul puts it. This is, this is going to be the start of a number of places where it does say that God got angry. Keep in mind, in Genesis, God never gets angry once. Keep in mind, the beginning of the canon is God's preferred voice. No anger. And the first canonical reference to anger, God gives Moses what he wants at the burning bush. You want someone to go instead of you? I'll send Aaron, your brother. That's when he gets angry. Gives him what he wants. So we got to keep these in our perspective as we move forward. Uh, Otherwise, we will get confused in the maze. And and so many people do when they read the Bible. Uh, They find it very confusing. So... The journey has, we're now in the thick of the journey. Um, My goal is to get through this journey this quarter. We have five more Sabbaths to do that. And then we'll get into atonement. So, let us have prayer. Father, we thank you so much for revealing yourself on Mount Sinai to Moses as a God who is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in goodness, mercy, and truth. But there are consequences to when we turn away from you to other gods. We tend to become angry, passionate, and those gods can't love us. And so consequently, we uh, we are bereft of your love and incapable of seeing your wrath in its true form and its true nature. I pray that we may, as we grapple with the stories that seem difficult, that you will guide us in a special way. May we come to more clearly understand you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.